episode 426. Lessons from the world's elite coaches, athletes, and special forces. Fergus Connolly. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Hi, I'm Adam Lewis Walker, founder of Awaken Your Alpha, the number one personal leadership podcast that is also a best-selling book, Awaken Your Alpha, Tows and Tactics to Thrive, and also a TEDx talk for how to rise up. You can see a theme here, but please do check these out. If you like the talk, if you like the podcast, you will love the book. The book is the best of the best, and it's available on Amazon. This podcast is brought to you by The Talk Accelerator, helping thought leaders increase influence, income, and impact by achieving their talk. How to secure and smash your own TEDx talk. If you'd like to find out more about how you can get onto the red spot, please do head over to talkaccelerator.com. That's talk, X-C-E-L-E-R-A-T-O-R.com. Get to the podcast. Okay, this week, if it isn't every week, this is really about high performance this week. We have Dr. Fergus Connolly, and he is one of the world's foremost human performance thought leaders and has applied performance science with leading sports, military, and business teams. The list of who he's worked with is huge, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of it will come out through in the interview. Coached in almost every major sport, you know, Liverpool, Bolton Wanderers, professional college football, San Francisco 49ers, University of Michigan, and the Welsh rugby national team. So firstly, Fergus, are you ready to awaken your alpha today? <laughs> Absolutely. Man, that's some impressive stats. And we've been talking before the interview. It's, it's not all as shiny as it may sound. And like, we've all got, you know, our struggles. And, you know, how did you get to this point where people are like San Francisco 49ers are one of you, Liverpool? I mean, the elites in all these different arenas. Yeah, it's a great question because if you had asked me, you know, um, 20 years ago, what would my journey or path have been? Um, I certainly didn't plan it. I think... Um, one thing that you notice when you meet people who have maybe you know, gone on interesting journeys is that they, they really follow their instinct. So it's a combination of passion and purpose. You, know, you have to obviously be passionate about something, but then you know, what's your purpose? Like, what, what do you want to do? And for me, like, I just love helping good people do great things. And through originally teaching and then coaching, I just got the opportunity to help people um, you know, make a difference. Awesome. What, how long were you a teacher for? And what did you, what uh, taught, for, taught for three years. And actually, my subject was woodwork uh, and construction studies. Uh, so nothing to do with sport. Well, but I, was a, I, was a PE <laughs> I was a PE teacher back in the day. Well, the reason I, I was almost <laughs> going to become a PE teacher, and I thought, you know what? When I, get to, when I get to 40, do I really want to be pulling on a sweatsuit? And here I am at 40, <laughs> pulling on a sweatsuit. And I'm going, that's the reason I chose not to do it. I thought, I thought it would wear off. But the passion for uh, helping people, um, and particularly in, in a sporting context, um, yeah, it's just that's that just stayed with me, and I didn't expect to be doing, um, you know, still to be doing this. And uh, as you know, in the, in the UK and Ireland, professional opportunities are a lot more limited than than mm. in the US and in other countries. So I I never really planned any. I never planned this actually took a career break from teaching, you know, 15 years ago and just haven't gone, gone back. I don't think they've got my job anymore, but so, sounds a bit me like me. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I quit my job, went traveling around the world. And then that, that was the beginning of the end. There's no way back mm. really after that. <laughs> well, I think, uh, you know, something that people talk about, Oh, you know, you know, what you, what do you really enjoy? And I, said, I just love meeting interesting people. But what I've realized uh, is that the most interesting people, uh, it's not, it's not what they do. It's not their job. 
It's the fact that usually the most interesting people are the most interested people. They're the ones who are constantly searching, looking for things. When you sit down and talk to them, they could be, they could be doing any mundane job, but because they're so interested in so many different things around their job, that's what makes them interesting. You touched on, before the interview, you're in San Francisco now. I know you do some work there. Yeah. Where are you based? Where are you originally from? Would you say you've got a base at the moment? <laughs> uh, not really. Like um, next week, next week I go to Iceland. I come back, then I got to go to got to get up to Ohio the week after that and then I'm in LA afterwards so but I'm used to I'm used to traveling like I mean when I was working, is Ireland would you still say Ireland is your home base yeah, now yeah. Or not oh really? Ireland yeah Ireland Ireland is home yeah. yeah and like um but like when I was working I remember one stage I was working for consulting for three different teams and I had it so I had it done perfectly because in each hotel I would stay at the same hotel in each city and I just had a suitcase that I would just leave in storage. So I had a small one I would bring with me and I had three suitcases in three hotels, London, Liverpool, uh, one in Ireland, and I would just rotate through them. So you get used to travel and I enjoy it. Yeah, I like the hacks. I mean, the little things yes. like that really do, really, yeah. do make a, really do make a difference. Yes, yeah. You talked about you as a, you as a teacher and like obviously there's many teachers and a, a mm. lot of them sometimes think, as I did, you know, I couldn't see myself, you know, 10, 20 years down the line in the same, same scenario like you spoke about as a PE teacher, for example. Who helped awaken your alpha? Or was there a moment when you, you thought, actually, this is it, I'm onto it? Um, if truth be told, I think a lot of it had to do with where I grew up. So I grew up in a small uh, village along the border between Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland. And um, growing up, like, you know, you remember this, growing up, I grew up in the, the early 80s during the Troubles. It was an interesting time. Uh, that's an inverted commas. Um, but so, but um, during that during that time, you like I, I learned a lot really quickly. And only looking back on it, like I, I learned, you know, you, you grow up during conflict, during troubles. You see what um, you know an environment of uh, confusion and fear. How people, uh, you know, a generation later maybe forget why and what certain thing, why they're fighting and arguing. So. Um, that was important because it has always stayed with me um, the importance of trying to understand the other person. And so that was really, really important, um, both in teaching and in coaching. You know, if somebody wasn't, couldn't understand something or if somebody um, maybe had a fear of something or disagreed with it, um, what I had learned from a very young age was, well, put myself in their shoes and, and look at it from their perspective. Why? Can they not buy into something, buy into a recovery protocol, buy into, or why am I not connecting with them? And that was a wonderful learning experience. So something, for example, coming out of um, a tragedy trauma or a dark uh, period, you, you know, you can always learn from those. And that's something that stayed with me. And I think also, um, uh, I think just being Irish is, is a small help because, you know, um, you look if, from, for, purely from an Irish perspective, you look at so many different people who've been successful, um, um, you know, from Ireland, whether it's in music, whether it's in the arts or whatever, you go, it's it just, there's something there that goes, well, I can still be very, very good, even though I'm from the small island. And that's why with kids, it's so important to have heroes yeah. and to have role models. And so I think that was the origin, yeah. but I, I don't think- Who inspired any... you? Who was your, maybe not a hero, but someone who inspired you, at least in the arena, the realm, so you can say, actually, I can see 
you know, some kind of path or I want to do that or I want to do something like that? Well, I think it was interesting because there were so many different coaches that I would go and visit. Um, and this was when I was a teacher and I would save up my money or I was at university. I would go visit coaches and say, hey, listen, do you mind if I just come and watch practice? So there was a guy, Ashley Jones, uh, who was the strength and conditioning coach with the All Blacks. And he said, sure. He said, listen, if you can be here at this time and this date, um, yeah, you can come and watch practice. So I booked flights to New Zealand uh-huh. and, you know, just landed down there. And, but what was really, really interesting about Ashley, about people like Dan Path, Charlie Francis, these are the coaches that I would go and visit. I recognize yeah. a few of the names because I was a strength yeah. conditioning coach as well, especially the Dan Path. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what was amazing about those guys was that every single one of them encouraged me. That, that was, and here I am a teacher with no actual structured background or training. Mm-hmm. And not one of them ever uh, was condescending, was belittling, was dismissive. And I, I just loved it. And they actually gave me the confidence to want to become a coach because for me, you know, I was trained in something else. I, had a, I actually had a PhD in computer optimization. I, I did not have um, a background, but every single one of them, maybe a slow burn, so to speak, rather than one critical moment i think yeah that, you know so do you start in this arena as a strength and conditioning coach and then yeah. has that morphed i mean do you still do strength and conditioning is it more just the the mental performance or talk to us about the evolution of, of you and how you work with clients yeah so um when i started working with teams and players i was going okay so what's the key and at the time it was well you got to be a strength and conditioning that's the secret mm-hmm. and so you know i traveled to, to learn from everybody i could and then, but then it slowly dawned on me, well, hang on, there's body fat issues, there's nutrition issues. So I started to study that. And then I realized, okay, well, psychology is a major part. So the question always was, how do I get the team? How do I get the person better? And that to me, I just kept doing what I started doing when I was a teacher, which was forget about categories, names, yeah. roles. What does it take? And I would go and find the best people, whether it was, you know, studying about um, you know, the limbic system, reptilian brain, or trying to understand uh, oxygen kinetics or whatever it was. I just wanted to know how do I help um, the athletes, the teams, the coaches get better ethically, which of course is something that you have to bear in mind because like there's lots of different ways you can do it on the dark side, but that never interests me. Now, Mm. yes, you read about it and you try and understand why does something happen, but now how can I do that, you know, naturally and how can I improve and help uh, you know, players and coaches and teams to sustain success. You're an author of at least two books that I know about mm-hmm. game changer, the art of sports science and 59 lessons, you know, working with the world's elite coaches, athletes, and special forces out of them 59 lessons. What are some of uh, some of your either favorites or key ones that, you know, spring to mind. I'm sure you, you well, you might not know all 59 off by heart <laughs> <laughs> that spring to mind when you get put on the spot like this. Uh, I think, um, w- one of them is that, um, you know, 99% right is 100% wrong. Um, because wow. sometimes uh, I think we very often, we have our own personal biases and we, we are trying to ensure that something is right. It's almost there. It's almost there. But sometimes we have to be realistic and go, you know what, this is not, this is not right. And we need to start from scratch again. The other one early on is never pick the best person, guy or girl, pick the right person. And the, you know, that was something, that was something I'd learned from, um, special operations group when they were talking about selection and recruitment it's not about who scores the best it's not about who's the the best in terms of metrics it's who's the right person for this group and for the tasks that 
uh, that we have. And that's the same thing when we're looking at kids, when we're measuring humans, we still haven't mastered that ability to measure humans in a truly objective way. We can, we can measure them and we can come up with objectives, but it's, not a holist, it's impossible to measure a human holi uh, holistically just through objective numbers and metrics. Yeah, I love that. And I really, you know, I've never really heard someone say it, articulate it in that way, but that really strikes a chord with me because, you know, well, that was, some, yeah, yeah, sometimes and, and, if you just put a broad net and go on some, you know, brutal stats, some people are going to get massively overlooked when they are the right person. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, the context was about, you know, a, a commander who was speaking about how they, how, he had actually dropped a guy from a selection course because although, he had won a particular event uh, clearly um, that, you know, he had failed to, it was how he acted afterwards with other guys who were just coming over the line. It was his interaction. It was the things that he picked up and it had, so the fact the guy actually won, um, he still didn't make it. And That's huge. That makes me go back to like teacher mode, seeing, you know, some, some bad sportsmanship yeah. and, you know, the attitude and exactly what you're talking about there. Yeah, and so what I do now is with every single metric, every single number, um, whether it's, you know, I'm just using a simple example, but let's say it's a bench press. It's not the number of reps you get. It's also, I always have an objective and a subjective score. So I'll, I'll always grade it A, B, or C because somebody might get the 10 reps, but it's a C form, the very poor form. Mm. So just, it, it's not, not yeah. that that's, Perfect Good point, but it's a reminder to me that it's not just about the metric. It's also what was the quality of the, the score. Love that. Love that. Now, um, I suppose what would you say? Cause it's, we're just trying to like, like you say, it's hard to label what you do in different things. What would you say? Like if, uh, uh, you know, one of these elite teams who haven't worked with you yet, they're, they're like, okay, we want a bit of Fergus. We want some of this magic. Like how would you describe it to them? How would you kind of package it for them? Like, what are you, what do they think they're getting you in there to do? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the t that's that's always the, the the question. Essentially, you know, I I solve problems for teams, and it might sound very trite or simplistic, but that's essentially what I've done my whole career is going from team to team, organization to organization, when they generally have a problem or have a challenge, and there are two sides to that. And very often, you will get, um, for example, there was a, a team, NBA team recently wanted help with load monitoring, uh, how to monitor, who to rest, whatever. But that was what they perceived as the problem. But the challenge actually fundamentally was about communication between the staff. So it's not just solving the problem they perceive, but also yeah. helping them see what the other um, possible problems and challenges are. So it's um, it's twofold in that sense. And the other thing is, while it is helping solve problems, I'm very, very conscious that my job is to help facilitate them solving the problem so they don't need me. Uh, like a, you, all of your great teachers taught you how to learn, not to be reliant. You know, not, it wasn't for them, for you to be reliant on them. And that's the goal of a great coach, great teacher, is that they make themselves irrelevant. Yeah, they teach you how to teach you how to learn. And listen, if someone's listening to this journey, it's it's very easy to skim over things and think, "Oh my goodness, what a rise!" Like everything's kind of fallen into place. But we spoke before, and you know, I would kind of open it with this question: 
what was one of the most challenging periods when it didn't all fall into place and uh, it all hit the fan, really. Yeah, well, um, uh, yeah, I just finished, uh, just finished a TED Talk uh, about it, but it was, um, it was you know, my, my TED Talk is about basically how I was working with a special operations group and they asked me pretty much the same question. I'd spent the whole morning explaining lessons and principles about success and then, you know, one of them said at the end, Fergus, listen, that's outstanding. Uh, tell us, what was your worst failure? And you're standing in a group of alpha males who, to be honest, many of them, you know, you admire and are, um, you know, incredibly successful. And then, uh, you know, I, I paused for a minute and I remember looking around the room going, how do I get out of this? And I thought, I wouldn't even make it to the door. <laughs> but uh, yeah, my, my worst failure was, was burning out, um, uh, at the University of Michigan, I'd been there for two years. Uh, I think I'd taken two four-day vacations. So were you, a, were you a strength coach at that point? Or is that what you were? I, was, I had two roles, actually. I was director of performance, which was overall of the strength and conditioning, mm -hmm. medical, uh, sports science, nutrition, managing all of that. And then I was also over operations because our operations director left. So I took on that role. And um, I think, as I was saying earlier, I used to have written on my wall 16, 2, and 6, which was there were 16 hours of work I could get done in a day. There were two hours for eating, traveling to and from the office, and then six hours sleep. And my goal was to, you know, try and get as much done as I could because I wanted to. It was important to me. Yeah. And um, then at the end of two years, I, I flew home to see my family. I hadn't seen my parents for two years. And I, wow. when I get back, well, it's just, yeah. in pro sport, it's, it, it is what it is in you it's always about the mission first. It's always about, you know, look after others, get the job done, you know, and, you know, you can look after yourself and, um, you know, it's really about serving others. And that was something again that I learned particularly on the military side, but also from some of the great coaches is it's not about you. It's about helping others. So I come back and I get a text message from a friend. Hey, you should look at this. And I clicked on the link in the text message. It was my job advertised online. With no notice, no nothing. So I go to try and find the head coach to get an answer. I go to the athletic director. Uh, couldn't get a straight answer. The athletic director said, look, leave it with me and I'll get back to you. So I went home. 40 minutes later, I get a text message. Hey, Fergus, we're going to move your office. Can you just tidy up everything and we'll get you a new office in a few days? So I do. I move everything back to my apartment. And I wait for text to call. You know, one week goes by. Uh, first at the start I'm so going, shady though what a way to do well, it <laughs> well I, I look Can't at the start but at the start you tr you know you work with people for years or whatever yeah. you trust stuff is gonna and and I don't you know by the second week now I'm getting yeah I'm getting a little bit restless because it's more that I'm not used to doing anything so my brain's going yeah and I can't switch off by the third week now I am worried but I I don't want to reach out you know to my girlfriend or I don't want to burden my family or people closer because I just don't want them worried and anyway, I'm the person that people comes to. But by the fourth week, you know, I'm not sleeping, not eating. And I remember eventually, you know, it's 4.30 in the morning. I can't sleep. Uh, I, you know, I pour, I'm on my third Moscow mule. I'm watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians. And I go, listen, this is, you got to, you, you have to go talk to someone. Next morning, I get up and I drive to my girlfriend's house. Should never have got behind the wheel. And I crash and I'm arrested. And uh, it uh, you know, everything just spun out of control in the space of uh, like less than 24 hours. And oh. the, 
and, and look, I, I have no excuse. I'm not a victim. It's, I have no excuse. I was wrong, like mm. categorically wrong. It doesn't matter who did what. It doesn't matter who didn't do what. I have no, no excuse. Um, and it was a great learning lesson for me. Um, and in the days that followed, so it, it makes the news, it makes the media, of course, which was tough because, um, like I said earlier, I grew up on the border, grew up in the troubles, uh, been in scary situations, I worked with yeah. some really tough people. It takes a lot to scare me, but I'll tell you this, and every, every, every son knows this, the scaredest I ever was in my life was picking up the phone and calling my mother to tell her. Those <laughs> oh moments we that, yeah. we call her thousands of what miles away. What have you done? Yeah, Exactly. And uh, no, no, oh. he's pregnant. No, no, you're not a grandmother. But uh, so uh, it's worse. In the, about four days later when it broke, uh, my phone started to ring from people, uh, guys I'd worked with, um, you know, some were former NFL players, some were rugby players, coaches, and some were from, you know, Navy SEALs, Marines, Rangers, and uh, those guys were incredible. And it blew me away because the first question always was, you know, Fergus, what happened? I just saw a headline, but tell me what happened because, you know, I, I know you, this, this is not you, like, so I told them. Yeah. And the next question was, why the F didn't you call me? Or okay. I wish I had comms on it, I wish I'd known. Why didn't you? And I was stunned because I ne would never have thought to call them. Some of these people have done incredible things, been through difficult moments in their own life. And I was like, why would I call them to cry and whinge and moan? That's how I saw it. Yeah. And, uh, and so um, that was really, that was what was going through my head. And then every single one of these guys, many of them who I'd looked up to, um, uh, said, so it's okay for me to call you or for you to come and help me, but you're not going to call me when you need help. And they all shared a story far, far worse than, than I had been through. You know, some were talking about bereavements, deaths, yeah. divorces, some of them done time. And these were stories I did not know about. And it, that, that kind of blew me away. And, uh, but it was incredibly important. And I, I you know, one of them said to me, you know, I said, look, I, I never, I didn't know that, you, you, you know, you never told me or I didn't know that about you or I didn't know that. And they said, listen, Fergus, the only reason I know about yours and you don't know about mine is yours made the news, yours made ESPN. Um, I would never share my story with anybody um, except someone like you who I trust because, you know, why would I, why would I want to share that story? Yeah. And that was a huge learning lesson. I looked at all these successful people, many of them very well-known names who had succeeded because of these things, because of what they learned from them. Yeah. How did that feel seeing it plastered over, you know, going public like that? And like, did you think to, was there a fear that, you know, this is, this is, it's, it's over because, you know, professional sports at that level can be ruthless. And if they get the wrong kind of, whether it's justified or not, if they get the wrong kind of vibe, sometimes they can just turn your back, their back on certain players or, you know, coaching staff or people they work with just because of an image. Um, to, to be honest, that didn't cross my mind. But, and this is going to sound incredibly unusual, but maybe this tells you a lot about what it was like four weeks sitting on my apartment alone because my whole circle was work mm. and everything else. Um, but what 
it was actually, to be honest, a relief because I'd spent four weeks on my own every single day, not knowing yeah. what was going on, uncertainty. And it, I, it was almost like a sigh of relief. This is over. Now, yes, the whole media thing was not pretty and far from it. It was embarrassing. It was shameful. And I was wrong. So, but that was important because I've, I've never made an excuse for, for anything. So I wasn't angry about that, believe it or not, because I had done wrong and I deserved yeah. whatever. And somebody said to me, you know, it was a few months afterwards, they said, you know, I'm really impressed or surprised at how well you've, you've handled it. They said, why do you think that is? Because others have, you know, struggled with it. And I said, well, first of all, I'm, you know, I'm not a victim. I could, could try to be, but I'm not. And secondly, I did wrong. Like, I mean, I drove over the limit. I shouldn't have done it. You talked about high-level sport and you're 16, 2 and 6. I want to know about the balance or how you've had a rounded life because you've excelled in obviously this, this arena and you said these are the sacrifices. And I want to know what are your thoughts around that? And I mean, have you had time for a family and, and things like that as a man? Or have you kind of really dedicated and, you know, knowledgeably made certain sacrifices? Well, you see, what I do isn't, um, it's not work. Like I, I took a career break 15 years ago. So what I do isn't work. And I loved it. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, and so when, when I finished telling the story to special operations group, the senior officer looked across at me and said, yeah, that's exactly what happens to us. And we spoke afterwards about how um, the, the need, when pressure is on high performers, you don't need to worry about them. Like mm. when pressure is on, that's it. Like you thrive under it. When things are going, um, going crazy and chaotic, that's what you are prepared for. It's when the stress is removed that many of us struggle then to, you know, hold on to something. So, you know, I, after four weeks of not having something to do, that was what I struggled with the most. So, you know, that was one of the things I had to learn. I had to realize, okay, you have to have, um, uh, an understanding that there, you're going to have to put a, more effort into other things so that when, if something is taken from you or you're not able to do it, you've got something else that you can put your energy into. And that was really important. And the other thing was, you know, one of the guys from another unit um, was saying to me, look, you need to make sure that you've got a tribe, you know, around you who are like-minded, who you can rely on. And you just can't always do these things, you know, on your own. The other thing I learned, you know, listen, some people walked away, you know, from me, people who I thought were friends, colleagues, and you, yeah. you learn, but you yeah. have to be grateful for that because, um, and I'm sure, look at when you had your injury and stuff, it's the same thing, but the people who then are left when the dust settles, those are the people that you will forever remember. I've got such a close group of people, um, you know, afterwards who called me, Mo many of them only knew of me remotely. Yeah. Um, who, who pick up the phone and call. And that was incredibly reassuring for, for me. Awesome. Well, we're going to move into the alpha round to wrap things up now. I'd like to start that with, is there a particular favorite quote or just a way you like to approach your life that springs to mind? Um, there's a quote by a guy called Terence McSwiney and his quote, I've always remembered it. It's not those who can inflict the most, but those who can endure the most who will succeed. And uh, it's just a reminder that, you know, in, in life to those, you know, so much has been trusted or those who are strong, it's your duty 
to look after and to be able to tolerate, not to inflict on others. Awesome. And we've mentioned your books, but is there a, or has there been a particularly impactful book for you or one you like to recommend maybe in the, the area that you specialize in? There are three books that, and they're really, really simple. One of the best books ever is Who Moved My Cheese? I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with it. It's the, one of the heard, yeah, fastest. Who's that by? Um, I forget who it's by, yeah. but it's one of the fastest reads ever. And it's just a really simple story about um, not becoming complacent. And I won't ruin the story because it's so <laughs> short. The other one, um, another really fast read is A Letter to Garcia, which okay. is a very simple story about um, if you're asked to do something, um, you know, you've got two choices. You can go, okay, uh, how do I do it? And what, or you can just go get it done. And the third one that I think is a really helpful book is um, The Four Agreements. Oh, I love really, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just really simple no, book. I'm, I'm close. I'm hoping to interview the guy. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, and uh, I think, look, look I, I enjoy, what, what I really enjoy is um, those small stories. Essentially, they're parables or they're um, small stories that you can draw the conclusion specific to your circumstance, yeah. not somebody just browbeating you into a way of thinking. Yeah, I like the simplicity as well. Yes, yeah. That's a good one. Is there a particular resource or anything that you use in your, you know, in life? It doesn't have to be with your business or any, or anything you do that you think is actually a useful recommendation or if you feel it's like it's well known, maybe you just use or do something in a unique way. Um, I think one of the things that I've always done is questioned. And um, that's like, I don't have fixed resources that I use regularly. Um, mm -hmm. And it's another quote that really, you know, lit a small fire in the back of my brain. Uh, a wise man will learn from a fool, but a fool might not learn from a wise man. And it was, if you're not learning from other people, which are you? You could be sitting beside somebody on a bus or in a coffee shop and they could have some incredible insight and you've just made a judgment call on them. You know, how dare you? How dare you? So yeah, that's, I, I question everything and try to, you know, learn from everybody. Awesome. Well, this leads into who would you recommend from your network would make a, a great fit and potentially do an interview for the Awakening Raffle podcast. Is there anyone who springs to mind? There's a, there's a guy called uh, Cody Royal who, um, and he's one of my go-to guys um, and he's Canadian. Well, he's Australian, but based in Canada, but he's, I, I'm, incredibly impressed by him because like you he goes and interviews so many different people but it's very much on the performance side and whatever and he's just I, i'm just always amazed at his enthusiasm for reaching out and meeting people and that goes back to what um something we spoke about before is i'm always i'm fascinated by those who are most interested um because you can meet a you know uh somebody like a you know a fireman a policeman or whatever who's does one thing exceptionally well I love meeting these people who've got an eclectic mix and who are just yeah. interested um, and just all of the, 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 uh, those kind of, those kinds of people. And I want to touch on as well, cause I love, I love stories and the origins and stuff. And I'm, I'm interested in fear as well. And I know you had that, that challenging professional situation, but you did touch on it. You mentioned that got my curiosity about when you was growing up and maybe times when you feared like your physical safety, what, what was a really challenging time and a time you basically very scared growing up in the 80s in, in ireland along the border there was you know lots of things happened like i mean there were there were uh you know 
parents of kids I went to school with who, you know, disappeared or ended up being killed through different things. So you, you right. get exposed to that at a very early yeah. age. And I don't, not seeing it inoculates you, but you understand that life is, is fleeting. And I think that is one of the greatest, um, it's a truth. It's not a lesson. It's a truth. Life is short. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And maybe that's part of the reason that, you know, I've just always tried to live life to the fullest and, and take every day uh, and, you know, get as much as I can from it. But like, you know, I remember being, uh, you know, standing at the border and the, you know, British army pulling the car over, just literally taking it apart while you're standing in the rain with your family. And, you, and they're, listen, there are kids there who are maybe, you know, 19, 20 years of age. They're more scared than you are. Mm. But it's just this, it's this environment of fear where nobody's quite sure. Everybody's scared and it's yeah. for no it's reason, scared, whatever. Yeah. And, but when you sit and look at these things, um, you know, later on and you analyze them, you, you sometimes see the, the lunacy of it and you understand it's not what very often people think it is. And um, in, in many cases with, whether it's security forces or elsewhere, they're as scared as you are. And many things happen truly because of fear. And um, there have been, yeah, there were many instances growing up, like, I mean, you um, traveling through certain areas uh, in Northern Ireland or whatever. Like, but those moments, I think, teach you that life is, life is a sh it's very, very short. You live it, live it to your max, try and do good, try and help as many people as you can there's no point in waiting. Nothing's going to, nobody's going to come and you know, give you this wonderful thing. So go and experience it and enjoy every moment. Awesome. Well, what a great way to finish the show. Fergus, thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Live limitless. If you like the podcast, you will love the book. The book is Awaken Your Alpha, Thousand Tactics to Thrive, and it's available on Amazon. This is what my favorite author, Robert Greene, had to say about the book. I liked your book a lot. I like the mix of, of past and present that you brought in. I was very impressed. I enjoyed it. You know, I enjoyed it. It was it was a good. It was entertaining. That's what you I'm know, and and I, and I actually learned. It provoked some interesting thoughts for me. So it's a great book, and, and you're only going to be going up.